Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Jen Nicholson. And I'm Blair Cook. Today we're speaking with Dan Griffiths, who is a CPA and Certified Global Management Accountant and a partner at Tanner LLC, a Salt Lake City-based CPA firm with 150 team members, where he leads the firm's advisory service lines. Dan is a business coach, consultant, and facilitates over 75 owner, board, and executive team retreats each year across a variety of industries. He specializes in business strategy, strategic and succession planning, team performance, and leadership development. Currently serves as a member of the AICPA Board of Directors. And today we're going to talk to Dan about how firms can grow their advisory services to add more value to their clients and improve revenue growth for the firms. Sounds great. Let's get started. Okay, I'm here with Dan Griffiths. Welcome, Dan. Great to be here. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how you transform your practice into a more value-added advisory service. And uh, Dan, maybe you can describe how did you arrive at this this idea of uh, growing a practice through uh, advisory services? When I started my career in public accounting, I was in audit and got a great background there and ended up leaving to go into private equity for about four years. And when I made that transition into private equity, I left with this belief that numbers were the answer to all of the world's problems. And that if I could take all of my number skills that I had honed over my time in public accounting and apply them to these portfolio companies that the private equity firm owned, that we'd be able to make them more valuable and ultimately find the success we were looking for. And I was, I was dead wrong. My, my first six months I spent going through and providing uh, dashboards and all sorts of great information to, to these portfolio company CEOs and their teams. And in the absence of teams of people that are aligned around a set of priorities that trust one another and are executing against those priorities, uh, all that information did was provide them with weapons they could use to fight each other. And uh, so it was like tossing a bunch of weapons that into the inmates. That is very interesting, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so out of that experience, I, uh, I got acquainted with some, some tools, uh, some of them from the Business Learning Institute, uh, for those that might know Tom Hood with uh, the Maryland Association of CPAs and others, and got certified in, in various methodologies around strategic planning and uh, team performance and coaching and those, those kinds of things. And out of that experience, took and started practicing on the portfolio companies and found really amazing results. Um, we had one company that, uh, that totally transformed itself um, that we were able to have a really successful exit with and, and several other uh, great examples. And, and so out of, that, out of that experience, I thought, wow, what if, what if we could provide this at scale to lots of different businesses, not just the portfolio companies that we own? And so with a couple of the folks at the private equity group, started a consulting practice and the CPA firm that I had left approached me about three years into that consulting practice and said, would you be interested in bringing your practice to our firm? Coming back and, and doing yeah. the same thing. So we, we took and folded that, that practice in, brought those clients in and have been growing it at that firm for the last six and a half years. That is wonderful. Now, so when you, when you said you, you applied some of these tools that, that you developed, what role did the data analytics, the, the analysis that you were doing, did they, did they supplement it or did they replace it? So data analytics was helpful because it supplemented what we were doing. What was, what was missing from the data analytics was really the people side of the equation. Interesting. So how do we help these teams of people see answers together and then 
provide the data analytics so that they, they can make better decisions. Uh, but without them having a clear set of priorities and trust in their teams, then the data analytics just created more noise. And in some cases, it was just weapons to... Yeah, so you like have the numbers bring people together as opposed to tear, tear them apart. apart yes. <laughs> yes. So you've been back in the in the firm world and and mm -hmm. developing this as a as a growth opportunity for you know traditional firms. Yes. Um, so, how how has that transformation gone? Our firm has about 150 people. Uh, we would be a very traditional audit, tax, compliance type practice. Uh, at least 70% uh, of our revenue would come from those traditional lines. What we've done over the last six years, though, is to significantly expand the advisory footprint of the firm. So that incorporates the kinds of strategic planning, exit planning, succession planning, and other things that, that I do from an advisory perspective. But it also incorporates things like information security consulting. It incorporates uh, things like client accounting services. Um, so if you've heard about the, some of the bookkeeping offerings and that kind of thing, it also incorporates things like um, uh, data analytics and dashboards, um, ERP consulting, um, ERP selection. Uh, there's, a, there's a wide variety of things, uh, enterprise risk management consulting, a number of areas we've expanded. Does this require uh, a lot of specialization of uh, resources, specialists to come in and supplement your team? In some cases, in yes. In some cases, yeah. So if you take information security, that's a great example where specialists are a, are a necessity. But we're already having the discussion with the client about the issue. So if you think about what are boards of directors worried about right now, it's not, is there fraud in my financial statements? They're probably worried about that, and they have an audit committee that's focused on that. But one of the things they're really worried about is information security. Mm -hmm. And so we're having the conversation with them and then bringing the specialist in who can help them with those, with those issues and conduct the risk assessment. But you'd be amazed at how much how much we can actually do as CPAs with the background we have to be able to do a lot of the high level planning, risk assessment, and those things based on the skills that we've honed and then bring in specialists to help with the subject matter expertise where it's warranted. Now, I'm cer certainly the big four have been all over this kind of uh, sure. very diverse, but you're, you're not big four, right? No, not even close. Exactly. So you're, you're a much smaller tier of firm, and yet you're still now offering a much broader uh, array of services to your clients. And we operate in a market where the big four aren't very active. I mean, Salt Lake has a catchment area of maybe a couple million people within that, that metropolitan area. And so the big four aren't going to focus there. They're in, they're in much larger markets. And, but there's still lots of clients who, who need the help. And the big four won't touch engagements a lot of times, particularly in the advisory space, that aren't these seven-figure behemoths. Uh, and we're able to, to come in and provide value at a much, much lower price point for a lot of companies that can use the help. So as your services you're offering, are they, are they initiated through the, the compliance-based uh, relationships you already have in the firm? Or yes. are you doing your own business development and bringing in different types of clients? Both are true. Yeah. What I'll say, though, is leveraging the compliance-based relationships is so helpful because the compliance services require communication, regular communication, between the firm and the client. There's a tax deadline. There's a bank deadline. There's some reason to have a conversation. Yeah. And those opportunities create great entry points for consulting services because for advisory services, the client doesn't have to buy them. They do ha have to get an audit if they have a bank covenant that says they need an audit, for example. They do have to file a tax return, but they don't have to hire a consultant. 
And so having a reason to be in front of that client is, is really, really valuable. What we're also finding, though, is that for those organizations that have already got a CPA relationship for their compliance services, we see this as a, as a door opener. Those firms, by and large, do not have the kinds of advisory services that we're providing. And so if we can go straight to, to them and say, look, don't, don't change your tax provider, don't change your audit provider, but we can help you out with information security, or we can help you out with strategic planning, or we can help you plan for your, for your exit as an owner from this business. Those are the places where it creates an entry point, and, and later on, maybe we can offer some of the other services of the firm, the compliance services. And, and just before we go too much further, I think I, I, probably a lot of CPAs who are in firms right now maybe have the, the independence alert going up there. How do you deal with the independence issues as you get closer and closer with the advisory services to it, compliance clients? Is it? It's something that we, we take very seriously, and we're careful about the types of services that we offer. So, for example, we have not gone down the business valuation path. We partner with other firms and have them provide that type of service to, to clients that we're serving when it's needed. There are other services that we would shy away from, like ERP implementation. So we won't go into that because that's a violation of independence, but we can add a lot of value on ERP system selection because most of the people that are providing uh, ERP implementation services are conflicted. They're selling a particular system and so we can come in and design a process for that client to help them make a better decision about what system to pick. Our, our intent with, with every advisory service we provide is identifying those that require some element of objectivity and independence in order to provide them effectively. And that's how we look at the new services that we add. So in the case of an information security risk assessment, it's critical that you have someone who's objective and relatively independent from your organization do that because that way they're not just going to try and sell you a bunch of stuff out the other side of the engagement. A lot of the people who come in and do the risk assessment work are doing it with the angle that they're going to be able to sell some whiz-bang tool that's going to solve all your problems. So all the assessment is geared towards selling that tool. And the same would be true of like ERP implementation or those sorts of things. So we really stand as an objective, independent third party in all of the services we're providing. Exit planning is another great one. Every wealth advisor on, in the world wants to provide exit planning services because they want to manage those assets once the exit event occurs. But as a firm, because we're staying independent and staying out of that asset management game, we can be truly objective in the exit planning services that we provide. So again, that, that kind of is the unifying thread for all of the advisory services is the objectivity and independence. Yeah, and I think uh, you know what you're saying probably resonates with a lot of practitioners, uh, you know, across the country on on being able to be and well positioned to provide these advisory services. So maybe we should just talk a little bit about, you know, let's say I, I am, I, you know, I see these opportunities out there, but you know, how do I actually do it? And maybe let's get a little bit more specific as to how did you transform uh, transform your practice to be more advisory focused. So I think the first step that, that everyone has to take, and we see this internally at our firm as we bring people on to advisory projects, it's a mindset, mindset shift, right? So in a compliance world, it's about having the right answers. It's about solving structured problems. They might be very complex problems, but they're highly structured problems. You can think of it as a Rubik's Cube that's been all messed up. And once you put it all back together, you've got the red on one side and the yellow on another side and the orange on another sure. side there's a right answer. With advisory services, there is no Rubik's Cube and there is no right answer. These are unstructured problems that the client is hiring us to come in and help them grapple with. And there are probably some good answers, 
but more importantly, the client wants us to help them ask questions they wouldn't think to ask. So you're more of a facilitator. Yes, in, in, a, in a very real sense. We're, we're much more of a coach and facilitator than we are a consultant who's telling provider. you how to, how to apply this particular piece of the tax law in this specific case. Right. So that's, that's the, the mind shift. Uh, the huge, huge mind shift. So when we bring people people onto the team. Is it the mind shift? So, and just to be clear, is it the mind shift of your, the team and your team, the practitioner's team, or is it the mind shift of the client that's got to change, or both? Both have to change. So if the client puts us in a compliance box, they're not going to see us as someone who's supposed to answer questions they haven't thought to ask. So we have to help them see us in a different light, but also on the service side, the team has to see themselves as someone that's asking questions more than they're answering them, which again is a, is a huge shift. When you take a staff who has spent the last five years answering questions, going through checklists, filling out forms, and you ask them to then shift to advising and asking questions where the answers aren't clear, that's that's a tough a tough shift, and so not not every staff person can make that shift. Convergent thinking versus divergent thinking. Yes, right? it's, yes, it's totally exactly. two totally two two totally different uh, uh, mind mind shifts. Or yeah, mind- so, so mindset is one. The second is really uh, business model. So there's a dramatically different business model invi- involved in the delivery of advisory services. It gets to the heart of the question you're asking earlier about what does the client think. What's the value proposition for them? What is it they're expecting us to help them with? Um, and more and more CPAs are being, at least in our experience, are being provided with the market permission to go and help clients solve problems. They don't just want us to put numbers on a tax form. They want us to help them uh, with challenges they've got in their business. If you look at the small business end of the spectrum, think about cash flow forecasting. Most small businesses can't forecast cash flow. In fact, a lot of middle, mid-sized businesses can't forecast cash flow well. We have a lot of the data that they would need to be able to build a cash flow forecasting model. So it's a, it's a natural extension to move into that, but it's a different, it's a different model. So let's take um, on, the, on the revenue side and the client side, we have to think differently about how we price these services. Whereas compliance services are generally just a build up off of hours. Um, advisory services tend to, tend to be priced more on a value basis. So what can we do to help you create something valuable? And we're gonna give you a menu of options to choose from. We'll give you a white glove option, a give and take option, and a budget option. And one of them's gonna be $50,000, and one of them's gonna be $30,000, and one of them's gonna be $15,000. Um, and which of those best fits based on the problems that you're trying to address? Uh, so much more of an options-oriented pricing model. And then on the, on the delivery side, you have to think differently about the people that you recruit and retain and develop and the kinds of skills that they're going to need to be able to be client advisors as opposed to um, compliance checklist folks. And so it's it's important to think, well, how are we going to staff these advisory engagements? And oftentimes that means bringing in more experienced people or bringing in folks that um, maybe have a non-traditional path that might have deep knowledge within a particular industry or deep knowledge in data analytics like we were talking about earlier. So you have to think differently about the business model. Um, well, I'd like to unpack the business model just a little bit yeah. more because I think it'd be very interesting for a lot of our practitioners that are out there thinking about getting into advisory services. And let's start perhaps by the service lines themselves because, you know, if you look mm-hmm. at the big the big four, I mean, 
they're, they've got everything. They've got rocket scientists. They've got, you know, you name they're it, they've got they, on they've there. They've got ad agencies. They got, <laughs> so it's infinite in terms yeah. of how many services could fit in under this advisory. So, but in, it, let's be practical and, and owner managed businesses. What would be some realistic yep. uh, service lines that we could, you know, offer to our clients? So, a big growing area is client accounting services. This is glorified bookkeeping, but it's bookkeeping with a consulting wrapper. So, for example, you have providers out there like Botkeeper that has taken, at least in the States, the market by storm, and they're going out and talking to all these accounting firms. They've got teams of people in the Philippines that provide the brute force book- bookkeeping, supported by some fairly sophisticated um, machine learning algorithms that help pull data straight across from, from really? banks. From bank accounts, yep. credit cards, scanning invoices. Code transactions, get stuff in there. Um, and then you use a whole bunch of tools, Bill.com, Receipt Bank, HubDoc, Avalara for sales tax. There's a host of these cloud-based applications that can be used for automation of different elements of bookkeeping. So imagine taking Aunt Mary, who's been doing the books for this $3 million construction company forever and ever and ever. She's now 68. And the construction company's probably outgrown Aunt Mary over the time that they've been around. And it's time for Aunt Mary to retire, so she steps down. Well, they've been paying Aunt Mary $3,000 a month or whatever they have for what she's been doing for them. Imagine the firm stepping in and saying, for $2,500 a month, we're going to do everything Aunt Mary was doing, but we're going to make it way more efficient. We're going to automate workflows. All of your account's payable now. It's going to be a digital workflow. So you don't have to sign anything. We're not passing paper around. It's all flowing through bill.com, and we're going to automate all of that. Uh, we're going to go through and and pull in all of your bank activity, and we're going to we're going to do that. We're going to help you with your job costing so that you're you've got a better read of what your costs are, and we're going to do all of that for twenty five hundred a month. And then, if you'd like us to wrap some advisory services around it and meet with you regularly and help you understand cash flow and those types of things, then maybe it's going to be thirty five hundred a month for that. You're seeing lots of firms doing that, and they're doing it where with with rates per hour that would astound you, uh, because. You would think that if a lot of this work is being done either offshore or with lower cost resources in, in bookkeepers, that the the pricing wouldn't be very competitive. But because you're you're replacing what had been an accounting function, mm-hmm. when folks come in at three thousand dollars a month and offer this, their realized rates per hour sometimes I've seen as high as four hundred dollars per hour in terms wow. of average realized rates per hour, and this is primarily bookkeeping services. So client accounting services is a great place for the the small business space, and it's something that practitioners understand. One thing I would caution any practitioners about is thinking that they can really understand bookkeeping. I would encourage you to consider it as a separate and discrete process and operation in your firm. Don't take master's degree accountants and have them become bookkeepers. No. Uh, You really want to have it as as a separate silo and something that produces information because it really runs very much like a an assembly line well it sounds like you've almost partnered with the you know the filipino companies and some of these companies it's not really it's, it doesn't even need to be a function inside your it firm. it doesn't have to be a function inside your firm some firms have built it we we um we partnered with uh with another company to do it in our case that had already built a philippines based team uh but there's a variety of ways you can do it i'm meeting with a firm in a couple of weeks in southern california that they, they have connections in the Philippines, and they're hiring their own people over there. Yep. But you don't have to do that. You can go out and just just connect to an existing team. But then in terms of how you spend your time, you're doing the, the cash flow uh, forecasting, forecasting and uh, you know the CFO-type roles. that. Yep, and you're sitting there with the client helping them make those hard decisions. You're doing uh, another area that's, that's really valuable is exit planning. So a number of 
clients out there are struggling with, well, what do I do? Do I pass this on to the next generation? Do I let my employees buy it? Do mm. I sell to a third party? And they're, they're approaching that exit. And there's a lot of baby boomers that are in that, oh, I, that yes. category. Uh, it's trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth that's going to be and nobody likes to talk about it. It's, nobody wants to talk about it. They've, yeah. been, they've been saying they'll retire in five years for a long, long time. And uh, so CPAs are in a unique position to be able to step in and provide exit planning services. That's another area that we've moved into in a big way. If you wanted to try as a firm owner to get into uh, cybersecurity or information security type services, that's one where you're going to have to be willing to invest in the specialists and, and, and bring them in. So that may not be the lowest hanging fruit, but I will say that many of your clients are probably looking for it. So if you could find the right person in, that could lead that for your, for your firm, you can find lots and lots of opportunity there. We're seeing tremendous growth in our cybersecurity consulting practice. I would also say that some of the larger firms have even dipped down and and are offering that as a service for some of their uh, some of the smaller firms. So if you take Witham, which is a top 100 firm in the United States, uh, Jim Bork runs that practice. They have a service where they will come into a firm and partner with the firm to provide information security services and help them build the internal capabilities to be able to deliver that to to their clients. So you don't have to build it all on, on your own. Strategic planning would probably be the last one that I would mention. We already do this with our clients to some extent. Mm-hmm. When the client comes in and asks for advice and help and that sort of thing, but usually we're just sort of throwing it in for free. It's, it's the year-end meeting. We're going through the financial <laughs> statements a couple months after the year-end, and then you say, you know, what were your plans this year? Yeah, that sort of thing. But what we, what we really need to do is build an entire engagement around that because that's what the client really values. They don't value all of those numbers on a tax form. They don't even really understand what it takes to create that. They value it to some degree, but they value more the standing with them and saying, well, what are your plans and, and how do we help you get there? Um, and what are the intermediate steps for doing that? Are you going to need to get bank financing? Or what are you going to need to do next? So strategic planning is, I think, a huge opportunity. We, we certainly see it at our firm. It continues to grow. Every client we introduce it to is, is excited about it. And it's really just a matter of building the internal bandwidth to be able to deliver those type of services. So the next, the next part of the business model I'd like to unpack just a little bit further is you talked about value-based pricing. Yes, that definitely is going to be a mind shift uh, for for a lot of practitioners out there to get away from a, a standard hourly rate, myself included. Massive mind shift. Massive mind shift. How, how do you how do you tackle that? You walk in, we're going to talk about strategic planning or something like that. How do you price something like that? So when it comes to the the older mindset of of billable hours and just sort of of doing that build up, there's tremendous initial resistance to that. But think about it for a minute. If Digital innovation, new technologies are going to make it so that it takes less and less time every year to perform the compliance functions that we're performing. Then all things being equal, what is going to happen to firm revenues every year? Well, they're going to go down because that the number of hours required to do the work is going to is going to decrease. Um, so so that's that's a reason for firms to say, OK, well, maybe we ought to pay attention to this value pricing stuff. Uh, I think from a client perspective, though, what the client wants is to know I'm getting something valuable in exchange for, for whatever I'm paying. 
So we come in and approach it like I shared earlier. We'll, we'll give them three options. So let's take in the, in the case of strategic planning or exit planning, because those are relatively straightforward. Yeah, let's, ta- let's just take our aunt, whatever her name was. The, oh. Let's take a look at the $3 million uh, construction company. Okay, let's, let's take a look at that. And how would you price that? I, I'm just curious out of my mind. How would you go and approach the owner-manager and, and talk like the strategic planning or another advisory service? Yeah, so in, in strategic planning, we would, look at the, we would look at the size and scope of the operations of the company. We would look at the bandwidth of the owner or the CEO or whoever it is that we're dealing with. And then we would say, how much help can they absorb over a given time period? Because there is a constraint there. Mm-hmm. So if we come in and meet with them and we, we have a strategic planning offsite session for a day, uh, maybe with their core team or with the ownership group or something like that, and then we follow that up with maybe some quarterly meetings to help them refine and adjust that, that plan, there is a maximum amount of support that that team can absorb within the rhythm of their regular work. And so we'll, we'll take that and set that as our, as our upper bound on pricing. So that'll be our white glove opportunity. It might be that in, in that case, let's say we're gonna do strategic planning over a 12 month span, and maybe it's $4,000 a month. Um, and we're going to walk you through systematically a process of strategic planning, or maybe it's in the context of exit planning, we're going to walk you through a process of creating an exit plan for your business. Um, and then we'll, we'll step back from that and say, if this is an owner that wants, that's a do-it-yourself person, and this is somebody who, instead of finishing their own basement, they're, or instead of hiring somebody to finish their basement, they're going to be down there with the sheetrock and the mud and the tape and everything. If that's their profile, then what does that look like from our perspective? Well, we can probably help make sure that those walls are straight in that basement and that you can't see the seams um, in the in the sheetrock that they're putting up on the wall, but we don't necessarily need to be the ones who are who are bringing in the sheetrock mm-hmm. and and screwing it into the wall. So for that type of an engagement, we'll say, well, maybe that's twenty five hundred dollars a month, and that's it's more give and take. Mr. Owner, you're going to do uh, a lot of the the work and the heavy lifting, but we're going to support you through that process. And then on the budget side, we'll come in and say, well, maybe it's twelve hundred dollars a month or whatever the number is we're going to just provide limited support and here's what the scope looks like. Maybe it's X number of planning sessions, um, so many number, so, so much, so many hours of support helping you with the deliverable, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so we like to pr- price it that way so that they're comparing us to us instead of comparing us to whatever other provider might be out there. Interesting. And, and I mean, you've been doing this for years now. How do you sell this to the, the, the owners? Like you have, you have a track record and say, engaging us you know we've seen other clients who've been able to realize successful exits or return yeah. on investment or there's got to be some sort of a success <laughs> track record to the advisory services that yep. helps you uh, gain and, referrals. And, and we, we find that for the advisory services we have to be able to provide that we have to be able to provide more referenceable work as opposed to in the case of a, uh, a compliance project they may just say okay well we're gonna get three bids and we'll just pick one of them for advisory services, they're like, no, this is this is my life's work. If I'm helping you with an exit plan, you better believe that I'm one of the best people on this planet who can help you with that. And so they're, they're going to want to talk to other business owners. They're going to want to know that we know what we're doing. So there's that side of it. But then there's also the need to um, have an entry point, right? So if the client doesn't have some kind of immediate pain, a reason to talk to us about something, they're not going to engage. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very intentional about when we, when we come in. Let's take a family-owned and managed business. 
there could be some real immediate pain created by some of the younger people in that business coming of age and wanting to shake things up a little bit. And maybe dad or grandpa or grandma or grandma or, or mom saying, I'm not sure that we're, we're ready for this, uh, this change. That could create a friction point and enough pain for them to want to engage to alleviate that pain. Now, it's possible that strategic planning is actually the answer to that pain point, but we have to have some kind of, of pain point that we're working off of, which is why those annual compliance meetings are such a valuable interaction to surface those, those yeah. pains and then be able to diagnose how we, we can help with them. So uh, maybe one last area. Let's talk. move on to maybe the skill sets uh, that are required to actually transform our, yeah. our, our, our advisory practice. So on the, on the skills side, you look at what the big four are doing, and as you mentioned, everything but the kitchen sink. I mean, they're acquiring digital ad agencies. They're acquiring uh, leadership coaching businesses, in the case of Deloitte acquiring Burson. Um, they're acquiring every possible consulting business you could imagine. In the case of smaller firms, we have to be a little bit more selective about what skill sets we can we can bring in. So you've probably heard a lot of buzz about data scientists. Well, EY is one of the largest employers in the world of data scientists. Um, I think they're even bigger than Amazon and some of those others in terms of the number of data scientists they employ, except that data scientists in a lot of cases make more than a CPA firm accounting partner. And so it's difficult for firm owners to contemplate that type of investment uh, when the firm is smaller. Bringing in data scientists to solve a bunch of whiz-bang, uh, predictive analytics type of issues for clients, probably not the, the right approach for smaller firms. But for, for those smaller firms like ours, we have found great success with data analysts. So folks that have got a pretty deep background in data and relational databases, but they're more focused on business insight. So they can go in and very quickly add value to a client by helping them build dashboards that un- help them understand their financial position a little better. Um, how much have I got in the bank? What do my receivables look like? How am I collecting? What's my cash throughput look like? Mm-hmm. Really basic stuff, but visualizing it for the client in a way that helps them understand it better. So we're finding a lot of success in getting clients who just need a little bit of help in understanding basic stuff uh, and bringing data analysts onto the team that can help them uh, better visualize that. So I would say data, data analysts would be a big one. What we also find with those folks is that they're very good at re-engineering internal firm process. So when we had an external lean consultant come into our firm and take a look at what we were doing in our tax process and our audit process and everything else, they found that for our tax process, for example, only 27% of the time was value added. Interesting. Yeah, it was kind of sad. <laughs> it was kind of like having your mother-in-law over for dinner and there's like cobwebs in all the corners. And yeah. So we we had... Uh, so you can use this use this on, your, on yourself. You're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're your own biggest client. <laughs> yeah, so we had, we had some folks inside of our firm who have some data analytics chops go through and redesign workflows. And we brought to bear some technology tools that dramatically uh, increased that 27% number to something closer to like 70% so that our processes were redesigned and were operating more efficiently. Um, so they can do that for us, but they can also do it for clients. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You can practice on yourselves. Practice then, on yourselves and, sell and then the sell it to the clients. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, Dan, lots of great ideas in our conversation. Thank you so much for coming in today. You bet. Glad to be here.